What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Culture Icon Podcast, where each episode we connect with aspiring life enthusiasts who encourage empowerment by overcoming adversity, staying true to their values and beliefs, lead by example, and share life experiences while elevating the mindset of individuals or a community. On this podcast, we dive deep into the lives of regular people who have goals, dreams, a vision, and a unique story that only so many people can relate to. These individuals are willing to share their story in hopes to inspire people who are going through similar circumstances or may need a little motivation to keep pushing towards a particular goal. We will discuss these individuals' different life experiences, journeys, thoughts, and beliefs that have led them to where they are at today. On this podcast, we tell no lies, no fake stories of glamour or struggles, just the lives we live. My name is Zach Dewberry, creator and host of the Culture Icon Podcast, and I want to personally thank you for turning into this episode. So today I have the pleasure of speaking with Kendall Glasser, a proud Hutch Tiger alum and now football coach, an older brother to Lane and Ty, and also one of the best young referees coming up in Minnesota. Uh, Kendall and I met through one of my best friends and old roommates, Tanner Grinna. And then when, when Kendall was down in Mankato, he refereed a few of my high school hockey team's games. And then we started seeing each other quite a bit at the gym. So we've built, built a solid relationship over the past years. So Kendall, welcome to the Culture Icon Podcast. Hey, Dubes. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So so you're a Hutch boy. You're born and raised there. And uh, just like the few I've met from there, uh, you boys love your city and you guys represent it with pride. So uh, just talk a little bit about Hutch and, and growing up there. Yeah, Hutchinson's, um, it's a pretty small town feel. You know, we've got a 14,000 person population, um, but it feels like there's only 1,400 people around. Yeah. It's- especially within the high school community. Um, you know, there, there's a huge emphasis on, on high school athletics as well as academics. You know, we, we have a very, very solid academic core within our high school and um, community involvement, you know, businesses supporting athletics and, um, you know, our, our newspaper and our media staff in Hutchinson do a really great job of, of following our high school teams and doing a really great job of making, you know, our kids feel important. So, um you know, as a junior, it'd be football, hockey, basketball, wrestling, baseball. You know, if you're a if you're a mainstay on one of those teams, um, it's it's pretty tough to get around town without being recognized by somebody. Yeah, and that's and that's awesome. And and you and you and your brothers both are all played. You guys, I mean, you guys have been involved in sports your whole lives. And what sports did you guys all play? Yeah. So growing up, you know, it was our interests when we were eight are the same interests that we kind of had when we were 18. So, you know, football, hockey, and then um, I only made it through ninth grade for baseball, but both of my brothers are, well, Lane, Lane finished up his senior season this last year and he's down playing um, junior college baseball down at Iowa central and ties a junior right now playing on varsity. So um, yeah, we were all two or three sport guys, um, you know, the, the football, hockey, baseball route. Yeah. And that's, and that's pretty common for most kids to, to play two, three sports there. Cause like you said, it's a, it's a smaller town. So, I mean, obviously you don't have as many, as many kids coming out for sports. So is that, that's pretty common. 
Yeah, absolutely. I would say the amount of kids that actually specialize is pretty slim. Um, I think that our head coaches in all of our different programs do really well with, with sharing kids and, um, and actually encouraging kids to be multi-sport athletes rather than just going in and specializing in, in the sport that that coach you know, might be, might be in charge of. So I think at, at the top of our athletic programs, I think, I think they do a really great job of, of sharing everybody and developing athletes and um, our strength and, and conditioning programs kind of at the backbone of all of that. And yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of just a farmhouse for, for good high school athletes. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you don't really see that in the, in the Metro. Cause like you said, uh, you know, you guys were able to, you know, grab other kids from other sports. And whereas, you know, on the Metro area, there's, there's so many kids and, you know, it's, it's tough to, to spend time on other sports. Cause it's like, if you even spend a day on a different sport, it's like a, a kid will, you know, is better than you, or he's getting more reps. So, so I want to dive into your, 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 your two younger brothers. Cause they're, like you said, you have one who's a junior in high school and then one who's who just went off to, to Iowa Central. So uh, what's it been like to be, you know, an older brother, a, you know, a role model, you know, for them to for them to have success? Um, I think I think the relationship there has been, you know, a, a constant shift over the past few years. You know, it started out where, you know, Lane and Ty were introduced as my younger brothers and oh you know you you're really lucky you get to know Kendall and live with Kendall and then you know I graduate and become a nobody to most people and all of a sudden I introduce myself and people are like oh you're Lane's older brother (laughs) I'm like yeah I I guess I'm a nobody now and then now it's now I make phone calls to Lane and he's like well yeah great now I'm the older brother to Ty and I'm like well yeah you're the first older brother now I'm like it's 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 crazy how the how the tides turn you know I mean, you, you were at a hutch for what, a year. And it's like, I mean, people don't forget you, but they, they move, they move on to the next one and, you know, they look towards who's, who's the next stud or who's the, who's the next glasser coming up. Absolutely. And if those guys were, you know, marginal athletes, I I don't know if it would have happened as quickly, but all of a sudden I leave and in both lane and tire are mainstays in most of the varsity programs and, yeah, they, they made a name for themselves really quickly here in town. And that's, that's awesome. And, and then you, your, your parents as well. I mean, they're, they've done a great job with you guys. And uh, so talk about the, the support and what they've done for you guys, as far as, you know, allowing you to, you know, the resources to play, you know, two, three sports and, and all three of you guys at the same time, because you, you guys are only what you guys are, from you to the youngest, you guys are what four years apart. Yeah, I was a senior when Lane was a freshman. Okay, so and Lane was this year when Ty was a sophomore. So I think that's a seven-year split from top to bottom. Okay, if that yeah, if my yeah, correct. yeah, yeah, <laughs> something something like that. So so yeah, talk about yeah. talk about what your the 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 support and and what your parents have done because that's I mean that's not easy to to have kids in multiple sports and have multiple kids. No, absolutely. I think all my brothers and myself were, were fortunate growing up where, um, you know, we, we never had to wonder if we could go out for a sport or, or have the resources to have gear for a sport. You know, my parents were always extremely supportive of 
all right, it's football season. We got to get cleats and gloves. And then hockey season comes around and, you know, they weren't always thrilled about dropping $200 on a stick, but. Um, yeah, no parent, you know, no we parent were, is. <laughs> no, but we were all extremely fortunate where, you know, we got signed up on time. We got to practice on time and stuff like that. And I look at my parents' commitment now and when you're, 12, 14, 16 years old, you kind of take it for granted. And now I'm, you know, I go coach might hockey or I go ref a squirt game or go help with flag football. I'm like, you guys were insane for going and sitting at an arena for two hours of your free time. I think I lost you, you there. I'm still here. You say that? You repeat that one again? You... You yeah, well, well, I top. guess what you, were just, you mentioned, you know, you, you're in the rink and you, you see you see the parents who are, you know, dedicating their, their time just to, to watch their kids. And, um, yeah, just back from where you just were. Yeah, I mean, I – I go ref a, a squirt B game or go help with a mite practice or go help at, at flag football. And, you know, as a, as a 21 year old, it's pretty tough to stomach it for more than an hour or two. And to think that, you know, as a parent that, that you actually look forward to going and watching your kid kind of bumble around the ice or stuff like that, you know, and, and you know, one kid is one thing, but for, for two parents to take three kids in three different directions on three different teams in the wintertime. And, you know, part of that is, um, you know, the small town of Hutchinson picking up rides with, with other families and stuff or my grandparents helping out. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely not an easy thing to do. And my brothers and I were very fortunate that my parents were willing to sacrifice, I mean, pretty much every weekend from when I was 10 up until now to go watch somebody play yeah. a sport, you know. And, that's, and, and, yeah, like you said, it's, you know, not many kids are, are that fortunate. And, and you, can, you can tell those, those things go a long way because – you know, as you know, I've I've gotten to meet you guys over the or get to know you guys over the past few few years. You can tell you, you know, your parents aren't. You know, they don't. You know, necessarily, they they let you guys be you, but at the same time, they they have a a standard, and you know, they they want you guys to be at your best. So they they do what they can to to provide you with the best. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know you. Like you mentioned you played you played some football when you were you're growing up and all the way through high school and, and, and I know you've been involved, you know, working out and helping out with them. So, uh, so now you're coaching with the, with. Correct. So yeah. What's your, what's your role and, and how are you, how are you enjoying that? Yeah. So I, uh, kind of made my decision to be back around here in town and, and got in contact with, um, coach Rosberg, legendary coach Rosberg. And he's like, well, if you're going to be around and you want to be at practices, you know, come on out and, you know, for, for any Hutchinson football alumni, um, Friday nights is a very special thing to all of us. Be back around the program is, is a big deal for anybody. So being asked to do that was a big honor for myself. And, um, I feel as though I bring a lot of, a lot of knowledge to our linebackers and our running back core. Um, not that I was the most amazing athlete at doing it, but in order for me to succeed as a, as a shorter guy who wasn't that fast, you know, you, you kind of have to pick up on the little parts of the game in order to, to be average. So I, uh, 
I really enjoy being around practice and working with our young kids. And um, you can definitely tell there's a difference between our seniors who were, who were eighth graders when I was graduating, who might've still seen a little bit of me in the weight room and stuff like that compared to that of the freshmen who, who never really knew me on a personal level. Um, navigating the respect yeah. piece and, you know, trying, trying to maintain the difference between being a buddy and being a coach um, without being, you know, full hardo and being a psycho because nobody likes that either so so trying to find that balance of um you know being the friendly young coach that the guys can relate to more easily than the older guys but then still maintaining that that aspect of of respect from them so they listen when you when you tell them what to do it's been it's been a lot of fun i can relate to that because my my first couple years i was coaching it was like i mean i was only 20 and i was coaching high school hockey and and you know they, they got the the players want to look at you as you know as a as a friend or you know they want to hang out with you they want to you know do all these things with you but it's like yeah you have to find that fine balance of of you know I want you to you know you want them to listen and respect and and obviously you know you want the best for them but it's like you can it's like when you graduate we can, we can hang out but for the time being it's like let's let's be serious about the sport we're playing and, 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 and get business done. Absolutely. And I think you have to be tactful in that where if you're, if you completely remove all relationship with them, then, then what do you offer to them really? You know, you got to play into your strengths of I'm a young, relatable guy. You know, I, I was in your shoes not too long ago and say a guy is, is struggling socially with his girlfriend or something, yeah. or, you know, his spot just got from another guy you know, your strength isn't the, the old rusty guy who, you know, maybe, you know, your X's and O's, but I think that I relate much better to the guys, you know, talking socially and navigating, you know, the more personal aspects of the sport. Yeah. And that, and that goes a long way. Cause if you can get them to, you know, they can, you can just see from their perspective. And um, cause I think that's a, a big thing nowadays in, in sports where the, the time with, uh, you know, the, the old, the old school coaching is, is kind of, it, it's only so effective. It's more of, it's, it's dealing with, you're dealing with personalities instead of, you know, yelling and screaming. And it's like, you know, you can, you can kindly, and you're also, you know, kids, kids aren't necessarily as, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say tough, but it's like they, they get their feelings hurt a little quicker. So I'm sure when you were growing up, you had some, some old school coaching. And so it's like, you have to find the balance of that and, you know, being able to relate to them about, you know, what's going on in high school. Absolutely. So outside of that, you're, you're now, uh, you've been refing for, for quite some time now. I mean, you're, you've been making your way up the ranks. I've, I've seen you've, I've seen you do everything from, uh, intramural hockey and Mankato and the men's B league to, to division three hockey. So, so how did you get into, into refereeing? Like what age did you start? Yeah. I, uh, I started officiating when I was 10 years old thinking it'd be a, a good little side hustle in the winter time to one, get more ice time and then two make, make a few dollars on the side. Um, and I, and truthfully, I, I didn't really enjoy it that much. 
um, until I got out and skated my first Bantam A game as a linesman and got to be, you know, sitting on a blue line watching some pretty talented hockey players buzz around. And um, then I attended my first camp at, at MHOA with, with a couple of really awesome guys, um, Steve Tatro and J.B. Olson and Todd Anderson and Nick Biondich are, are four giant names in Minnesota in the officiating world. And I got to spend a weekend with them when I was 17 years old and, and really kind of dive into what the culture of officiating is like and in the little microchasm that we are in, in the sport. And um, I just kind of got, got hooked on, on the refing bug. And since then I've been chasing yeah, the puck. Absolutely. And um, so when you were, when you, you know, were 10, 11, 12, so you were refing and, and playing youth hockey at the same time. So it was yep. pretty much you were an absolute rink rat then. So uh, do you still have that, that love and, you know, drive to be at the rink? Just like, what do you enjoy about being at the rink? I, I think that that kind of stuff has kind of shifted um, as I've kind of advanced through the ranks. I, I'm pretty selective about where and when I spend my time around the arena now um in, in the company that I'm in you know when I was in high school you know it's refing a Bantam game in your hometown you know and then right after your varsity practice which is one thing and um now I, I really 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 enjoy being around the arena and watching young hockey and, and more importantly I like watching young officials you know do what they do and helping yeah. them out um like you said you had you had some pretty pretty high high level mentors that that kind of helped you, you know, get to where you're at, you know, with the, the four guy, four or five guys you just mentioned. So is that something you try to, that information, you try to pass that down to the younger, younger refs that you, that you see? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the young officiating core, and this is, this is a North America wide issue here or a worldwide issue that, like like we were talking about with young individuals not responding well to to tight criticism i mean that's that's officiating to a t is you know you're gonna get barked and it's not gonna be kind and it's not gonna be you know slowly spoon-fed criticism to you i mean it's gonna be harsh and it's gonna be right away so um i think that it's it's paramount for older more experienced officials to support the young guys in our sport now doing what they do because in a few years, I mean, it's not going to be uh, there's not going to be a lot of guys wanting to skate squirt A, squirt yeah. B games anymore, and you I, know. So I think I think being at the arena and showing support for the for the twelve year old or the fourteen year old skating his first ten U game, I think that's that's a big deal. And um, I don't go into the locker room pumping my own tires, telling stories about you know I was I've been here, I've been there, you know. I just kind of go in and say, you know what, this this could be a very very fun gig for you if you choose to pursue it. And it's not something that everybody can do, but I think that giving the young guys your time and attention and helping them out goes yeah, a long way. That's ways. awesome because I mean, the more the more information and you know feedback, criticism that you can provide them, I mean it's it's only going to help them, and then obviously you just want to keep paying it forward. And then um, like you said, you're not going in to just pump your tires and say like, Hey, I, I've been here. I've been there. It's like, Hey, I got here because I, I fixed these mistakes or I, you know, I didn't let this coach get under my skin. So uh, have you, have you had some pretty uh, interesting encounters with coaches? Like, I mean, even, I mean, 
because you're still I mean, you're pretty young. So have you had some, some older, the old school coaches try to like take advantage of you or, you know, try to get under your skin to get them, get you to call the game kind of their way? Absolutely. And that that's a weekend and week out thing in, in college hockey. Um, the guys in the Mayak have been there a long time. You know, the, it's not quite as cutthroat in coaching in the Mayak as it might be in, in division one hockey. So the guys that are around usually stay around as long as, you know, they're doing their job and in, in developing people rather than hockey players usually. So there's guys that have been in the league for 15, 20 years that you're officiating for. So you walk in as a, as a 19 year old lining college hockey. I mean, they know that you're yeah. pretty green. Um, I mean, you could be on their roster for, for all they care. So it's like, I, 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 I probably, probably too young to be on their roster. Yeah, that's even true, yet. A lot of those guys end up playing juniors. And so I'm sure that yeah, they see you and they're like, okay, we're, we're not letting this kid get off the hook easy tonight. It's, you know, so do you, do you ever have, do you, do you have your partners ever step in for you or are you, are you to the point now where you're just like, you just don't deal with it and you just, you can, I mean, you're pretty, pretty strong guy. Like you, you can deal with it. Yeah. I think, I think the biggest learning lesson that I kind of went through early on, you know, at, at that MHOA camp that I was talking about. And what, what, um, what, what exactly does that stand for? It's uh, the Minnesota Association or Minnesota Hockey Officials Association. So um, Minnesota Hockey runs their hypers camp for 15-year-olds um, up at St. Cloud State where the kids get to be around guys like Nate Schmidt and, you know, Dane Jackson at UND was around when I was there. And um, – just a lot of, you know, division one and professional influence on young athletes playing the game still. And as officials, we run a camp side by side with them for developing, you know, referees and linesmen. So I attended the camp when I was 17. Um, I went in as a pretty good skater, you know, got the opportunity to work a, a state tournament the year prior. So I had, I had had a little bit of formal evaluation, but not. So you were, you were just mentioning the, um, the high performance up in at St. Cloud state. Yep. Um, so you want, you were up there when you were, you said you got up there when the first time you went up there, you were 17. Was that as, and that was as a ref, not as a player, correct? Correct. Yeah. I, uh, I actually never made it to the camp as a player. I made it right to the cut right before that, that camp had started and then always got cut. <laughs> and then I, I feel you. And there's a lot of kids that go with that same thing. It's a, uh, it's one of those things you, it's like, you feel like you could name like five or six kids or point out five or six kids that shouldn't have made it that you might've been able to replace, but it's like end of the day, it's where you're from, who, you know, who knows you. Um, so do you, do you go back there each, each spring for their, for the festival and whatnot? Yeah. So this is actually my second year back um, in the instructor for this course so like I said I attended the camp when I was 17 and then took a couple years off to develop more um, on my own side of the game before I really could you know be be a good tool to help others but yeah this is my second summer back helping out at camp and I feel like I you know once again you know kind of like with coaching you know I'm a younger guy that kind of relates to the same struggle that a lot of these guys are going through as far as navigating the ranks of, of hockey and trying to advance as an official. 
Um, not, not saying that the other instructors can't do that because they are obviously much, much more plugged in at the higher levels and helping guys advance. But, um, truthfully, those guys can be pretty intimidating. You know, I, I, those guys still honestly scare me a little bit. So, you know, if, if another 18 year old wants to approach those guys about trying to advance, I think it's easier to approach me and chat with me about it than it would be, um, to kind of talk to those guys about it. Yeah. So, and that's, and I'm sure that's, you know, guys are able to see you and, or get, you know, I'm sure they know your name and, you know, if it's easier for, you know, if a, if a younger guy went to an older ref, they probably might, you know, might not be as personable or willing to help. Whereas it's like, you know, you're, you're trying to establish yourself and, you know, building relationships is the easiest way to establish yourself. So, Whereas, you know, there are guys I'm sure you're reffing with who are twice, twice your age and almost three times your age who are like, they're there for their, for their cut, for their check. And they just want to get in and get out and don't necessarily want to help the young kid out. Yeah. And th- this camp is, is a pretty special thing where, you know, the reason that the guys are there is to help out. But yeah, I mean, when you get into the grind of the season, um, that's that's one of the issues that I see right now with with a lot of grassroots stuff is that there's guys that once they make it into junior hockey, D3 hockey, D1 hockey, um, some of the guys, I shouldn't say all of them, but some of the guys, you know, are like, yeah, you know, I don't want to go work a squirt game or I don't want to go work a peewee game. And, you know, there, there are some Saturday mornings where I'm like, yeah, I really don't want to get up at eight and go go to Litchfield, Minnesota and go do a squirt B game with a 12 year old. But then again, um, I wouldn't be where I'm at if, if guys in similar situations to where I'm in now didn't, didn't do the same thing. So um, that's just part of, of being a good, a good person in the sport. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, hockey is, is, is such a, I mean, it's, it's more than just the, the, the playing and coaching. It's, I mean, it's, it's such a big community and, and some people don't realize that it's, it's even, it's even the referees, you know, they make the game special and they allow, you know, the game to be played the right way. So it's like, so you almost have to understand the game better than, uh, than the players or the coaches or even the fans. Um, so, so for when it comes to preparing and training, what does, what does that look like? Cause I, I remember we we'd see each other in the early in the morning, you know, five, 5 AM in the, at the gym in Mankato. And, you know, your, your training looks a lot different than a normal athlete. It's your, your, your focus on a lot of mobility. Um, you know, it's not, you're not, you know, loading up the bar and bench pressing and squatting. So talk a little bit about your training. Yeah, that's that's another thing that's kind of shifted throughout my career. Um, you know, being a being a high school football player, college football player, I was I was always very, you know, athletically minded and staying in shape and I was very fortunate that I had that lifting background from Hutchinson and then going into into St. John's and playing college ball and um learning about you know how how to stay athletic and then um once I removed myself from football, I was kind of in a learning gap where, all right, I know, I know what it looks like to be at the gym on a consistent basis and stuff like that. But all of a sudden being 220 pounds and, and benching 350 
became something that didn't need to happen anymore. And then, like you had said, you know, being being mobile, controlling my own body weight, um, being efficient, being able to go for 60 minutes has been things that um, I really shifted my focus to. You know, as an official, we don't get breaks. Yeah, and you're, you're, you're up and down the whole game. It's, I mean, the only time you get off is – is it during an intermission and, and I'm sure during that, even that you're getting barked at by somebody. Yeah. We try to go hide in our little ref's hole, but yeah, I mean, like you had said, it, it's up and down for 60 minutes, you know, 20 minutes at a time. And if you can't go, you know, the first thing that happens when you get tired is, is your mind goes. Yep. And as an official, that's, that's gotta be the sharpest part of your game. You know, the second that your mind starts to slip, now you just missed that little, that little tiny hook on the hands that was a turnover and, it's going the other way and there's no, there's no getting that call back. So, um, yeah, my training now is, is a lot of, is a lot of treadmill work. Unfortunately, I don't like running, but you know, it's, it's something that I got to do, you know, what other, what other way are you going to get in that cardio shape? It's like, you can't just go to the rink and just start doing sprints up and down the ice for, you know, an hour. It's like ice time is ice time. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's expensive. And when you get on the ice, you know, I, I like to work on my mechanics and my skating and my, my power skating stuff, not, not burning up laps and working my cardio there. So yeah, you know, developing the, the endurance is something I like to do off the ice. And then, um, you know, leg strength is a big thing, staying flexible. So that way my stride stays strong and, and long is, is a big thing. And, um, and then taking all that stuff that, that I do off the ice and then putting it into, into on ice workouts that, that I do with power skating is this kind of the culmination of everything that I do now. Yeah. So do you have like, do you have a, I mean, I'm sure you don't have like a power skating coach or, you know, somebody to critique you. I know you, you, you'd like to, you know, record yourself when you're on the ice or, um, what kind of tools and resources do you use to, to help with the, the skating mechanics and uh, you know, all those little things that, that go into power skating and being able to be up on, up and down the ice for an hour. Um, another, you know, big thing, not to, not to beat up the MHOA camp thing, but um, JB Olson has been a long time power skating instructor for officials throughout Minnesota. And he's, he's one of the best around, Um, So getting to know JB on a personal level has been really good for me because, um, you know, anytime that I've got a question about my stride, you know, I, I ended up kind of cheating off of what he does to develop guys. And I went out and bought an iPad and bought, you know, the coach's iPlatform. So if I want to record myself and what I'm doing, I can do that and break down my stride. Um, Most of it is, you know, as a player, you want to stop and start to be on the puck hard and, and be back and forth. As an official, the more you stop and start, especially as a referee, that's a lot of wasted motion for us. Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a fan watching the game and you're watching a one-two system and the referee's taking these big, long, arcing loops and the fan goes, oh, that guy's lazy, he's looping on the puck. Well, we're not playing the game. You know, we got to be up and down for, you know, 60 minutes in a night in a junior game. So um, that's one of the things that that's actually taught is, you know, learning to take controlled turns and being efficient on the ice and then, you know, maintaining good knee bend and getting good long strides that as a player might not be the most effective way of doing things, but 
as an official, we, we really have to tweak the way that we skate in order to make it. Yeah. And that's crazy. Cause a lot of people, like you said, they might see you take a, a big loop behind the net or throughout the neutral zone, but in their eyes, they're like, Oh, he's just, you know, just, just out for a skate, you know, you hear that one quite a bit, I'm sure. And, um, but really in your mind and in your eyes, you're being tactical and efficient because, you know, as soon as you stop, you know, th- those guys, I'm sure at the, once you get up to the, the college and junior level, those guys can stop and start a lot quicker than you can. Yeah. And that's, you know, the, the pace of play and, and stuff like that. If I stopped and started on every single puck throughout the game, I mean, these guys are taking 45, you know, one minute shifts. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't get that luxury to jump off and, and tag team out and, and give it, give it over to the next linesman and, and let him take my next, you know, minute on the ice. So yeah, being, being efficient is a big, big, big deal. And have you, have you had a, have you had a game where like, or a, a weekend where your legs weren't there or your mind wasn't there and it was just, you know, kind of a battle to just to get through the game? Yeah, I think, I think part of that is, is, um, just kind of an experience thing. You know, I was, I was working elite league with a guy that I really looked up to growing up and, um, you know, pretty much one of my, one of my idols in officiating Rick Nelson, you know, I, I'd be down in Mankato watching him drop pucks for the WCHA, you know, once or twice a year. And he'd come watch me work youth games on my way up the ranks. And the other, I don't know, maybe two, three years ago, I was working an elite league game with him. So a lot of, you know, high caliber players, I think, 10 kids that played in the league last year actually went in the, the last NHL draft. So there's a lot of talent in that stuff. And it was my first time working 20 minute periods as a linesman. And I think I botched an icing or something. And I got back into the locker room and Rick, Rick kind of told me, he's like, yeah, you know what? That that's what young guys do is they make mistakes. Cause they're not mature enough to stay locked in for 20 minutes at a time. And you know, that's, that was one thing that, that really hit me hard, you know, coming from a guy that I really idolized and, yeah, um, you know that's, sure. that's pretty harsh criticism for for a kid to hear from one of your idols. So, um, yeah, I'm sure, mentally, I'm sure it wasn't necessarily like a, a a direct like dig at you. It was just more of like a a, a more like in general reference. Like, because I'm sure if he's if he saw you do it, he's he's seen it happen multiple times. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as officials, we all make the same mistakes. And I'm sure that's something that he's heard from a supervisor at one point. And that's just something that's really stuck with me. So, yeah, when I was younger, you know, like I had said, the the Saturday at 8 a.m., you know, it's a tough game to get up for um, as a kid. But now that's one of the things I really, really focus on is, you know, you've got a Friday, Saturday series, you know, Thursday, you better get some pretty good sleep. And then, you know, most of my days I, I – if it's a Friday game, you know, I spend most of my day, you know, mentally getting into what I have to get done that night. And uh, I, I think that developing the mental side of my game has probably been more important than the, than the physical side, you know, to stay, to stay locked in and think about what's coming next. You know, it's important to know what's going on during play, but you know, as an official, your job doesn't stop as soon as the whistle blows, right? You know, there's a lot of extracurricular. There's a lot of stuff that needs to get done between whistles, and um, you know, you know, developing the mental part of of finding where those potential fires might be, where two guys are heated, or you know, you've got 
two teams that saw each other in, I don't know, October, and now it's February, and they're both clawing out for, you know, a playoff spot. And you've got two guys that don't really like each other, and, you know, you got to know when they're on the ice together and identify where those potential problems might be. So so you're almost like you're kind of, you know, visioning, you're, you're, you're seeing the game play out before before things happen, but it's but you're not using those – you're not using that to kind of make your calls. It's just like you're preparing yourself for what could happen. So, cause that, like I said, those, those extracurricular deals that go on, like that 30 seconds, that 30 seconds could be you, uh, you know, getting a little breather in the corner, you know, just waiting for the puck to be dropped rather than, you know, pulling two guys back that are, you know, probably bigger than you. And, you know, obviously they're, the, the testosterone's flowing and they're, they want to kill each other, but you just want like a 20 second break in between whistles. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's something that college hockey's done a really great job of, you know, I don't have to deal with half of the problems that guys had to 10 years ago where college hockey's really, you know, at, at the administrative level, they've taken a lot of the, the fighting stuff out. Yeah. But yeah, and like then- you had said, you know, it's, it's, as a referee, it gets really, really, really difficult when your linesmen aren't doing their job and pulling guys out of those piles before they can really ignite, you know, before guys can even start to get hands on face masks. If guys are in there, you know, on the first shove, that makes it really easy for the referee because maybe a guy gets, you know, a little face wash on the, on the other guy. And are you really going to tend to a guy for that or give him a five for that? And then, you know, the one coach wants the five and the other coach, if you call it, is going to lose his mind. So the more we can eliminate those problems before they even start as a linesman, your referees have a much easier night in front of them. So the last, last couple of things I want to get into are, so what, um, what ages are you, are you mostly refing and like, what, I guess, what does a, I mean, now the, the season's about to, you know, get into full swing pretty soon here. So like, what's your, what's your schedule look like during the, during the season? Um, over the past few years, it's, it's been a bit of a grind for me skating high school hockey and college hockey, you know, it'd be a full Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, spent at the rink this year. I kind of told the guys in charge of me that I I really want to tone back my schedule a little bit and really focus hard on, on the higher levels of hockey and developing my game. Um, and giving myself a little bit more time to focus on my studies and my career outside of hockey as well. So um, this season I'm, I'm stepping away from, from high school hockey, so I won't be skating that kind of stuff. But I told the guys in the, in the officials development program that I'd come back to junior hockey. So I'll be skating um, some NAHL stuff up in St. Cloud for the blizzard. Um, Brookings just moved their team back to St. Cloud. So I'll be skating some of that. And then, um, my usual division three schedule. So that'll and be my, uh, my season here. So in the, the division three schedule you're doing, you're with, uh, in the Mayak, correct? Yep. Mayak and Wyak, Correct. Yep. Okay. okay. So you're, so it's Minnesota, Wisconsin. So are you, uh, are, is your schedule kind of, is it like, do you know a month or so in advance where you're going or is it just like a typical, like almost like a part-time job like every two weeks you get a new schedule like here's where you're going next week here's the week after so how does that kind of work no I've, I usually have a pretty good idea of where I'm at um so they'll they'll publish our first half of the season here so 
October 1st, I think was our supervisor's goal to get the, get the schedule out there. And so they'll post, you know, October 1st through Christmas on the first half. And then depending on how guys skate, the first half is, and then they'll start giving out second half games and then into playoffs. So, um, and that's, that's part of, you know, being, being sharp on the first half, you know, if, if you muddle your way through the first half or, you know, you're not in shape coming into the first half and then all of a sudden you've got run-ins with coaches or you don't have the best game ever. Well, now your second half might've just got cut in half and, you know, one of your, one of your colleagues might've taken a couple weekends off your schedule just cause they had a really good first half. So I really focus on coming into the season in shape, you know, mentally sharp, you know, not, not being rusty, getting a few elite league games or junior games under my belt before I dive into the college schedule, you know, so that way my first half is sharp. I look good at what I do then. And then hopefully my, my second half ends up pretty heavy. I work plenty of games and then it's fighting and clawing your way into, into playoff spots for the rest of the season. So are you guys, do you guys compete with each other or is it, is it more of like a, a team effort or do you guys kind of know who, I mean, might be, might be struggling, who might be having a good, a good first half of the season or, or do they take, and also do they take it in, in consideration like your, your amount of experience yeah, I think that I think it's a culmination of all those factors um, when deciding who gets to work later into the year. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, as officials, we're competing. You know, when four guys jump on the ice, you know, we're we're our own little team on the ice. And it's not like we've got fans on either side. You know, we've got we've got two teams that might not agree with us and fans on both sides that might not agree with us. And between the four guys on the ice and then maybe, you know, two supervisors in the building, there's only six of us, you know, against the world. So if you're, if you're competing against the guy next to you, it's, it's not a good, it's not going to be a good night. It's not a good look either. If you're the guy that says, you know, I, you know, don't take calls in front of me and you know, this and that. And if you make it about yourself, that kind of defeats the purpose of, of having other guys on the ice with you. So, um, when you hit the ice any given weekend, you know, you're one cohesive unit trying to, trying to work to go unnoticed and call the best game that we can. Um, but with that being said, you know, I, I'd be lying to you if I said that, you know, I'm not trying to be the best linesman on the staff, you know, I mean, I, I, I would never, I would never wish, you know, bad luck upon another crew. You know, I, I hope that everybody has a very smooth weekend and, and does their job really well, but um, I really pride myself on, on working hard and doing the extras, you know, before the game, after the game, coming in, looking good, skating hard, you know, having a good relationship with people. So that way, um, when it comes down to March and the referees are going, you know, the referees get their gig and the boss goes to the referees and go, yeah, who do you want to travel with? Um, I, I take a lot of pride in being the guy in the locker room that that's in a positive mood. That's there early that takes care of the rest of the boys and, um, is a positive influence. So that way in March when it's, you know, deciding who gets to go to Stevens point or who stays home and watches golf, you know, I want to be the guy on the road until the last weekend, every single year, you know, and like you, like you had kind of asked about, you know, experience is a big part of it. Um, you know, getting into my third and fourth year now, you know, I'll start working more playoff stuff compared to that of my first or second year. Um, as well as, you know, who's, who's hot. 
you know, officiating is no different than playing as far as who's got the hot hand right now. You know, sometimes you you get a couple of games and you're just mentally out of it and you're not looking real great. And as a supervisor, you you know that that guy's probably a stud, but if he hasn't been on, you know, it's, it's kind of a tough thing to do to put them on another weekend. Whereas you got a group of guys, if you got four guys that have been knocking every game out of the park, you know, maybe they're getting fed easy games, but um, if they're sharp and doing well, you know, you let those, you let the hot guys keep rolling and see what they can do. Yeah. So what of uh, what is your, what, what do you say your biggest, biggest struggle has been? For myself, I think kind of self-evaluating myself and, and understanding where I'm at, um, as driven as I am, I, I kind of, I'd like to bite off more than I can chew. And fortunately the, the supervisors above me have always been really good at, you know, keeping my ego in check and saying, you know what, kid, you're working hard for it, but you're just not ready for it. Yeah, and I don't, absolutely. I don't always like hearing that criticism, um, <laughs> like anybody would, but I've always been really fortunate where, you know, I, I get the nod on the things where supervisors know that I'm ready for. And when they know that I'm not ready, you know, I, I kind of get knocked back down to earth and, I think taking taking those bumps with with a smile on my face now is is becoming much easier than when I was 18 wanting to conquer the world. Yeah. You know, when I, you know, 19 years old working college hockey, you're like, "All right, sweet, when I'm 20, I'll do D1." Well, pff, what a pipe dream that. Yeah, what a pipe dream that was. Doesn't quite yeah. work. Doesn't quite work that way. It's, you know, it's just like you like we've said it's just like the players have struggles and, you know, have to overcome some adversity it's the the same thing for you yeah absolutely and you know as a player you can you can knock the next guy up you know maybe this guy made a team and you didn't you could knock that guy as an official I'm not gonna go oh well, well screw that guy he's not very good and then knock knock one of your I mean he's he's a teammate of mine still you know he got the job but he's still one of my teammates one of my boys so you have to just kind of tip your cap and supervisors make the best decision for everybody involved and when I was 18, I was so narrow minded on myself and getting where I wanted to be, where I wasn't looking at the big picture. You know, they stick me on the ice in St. Cloud state in front of 6,000 people. And I completely lose my mind. You know, I'm, I'm never getting another game in my life at that level, you know? So exactly. So them, you know, saying, you know what, kid, you're not ready for it. You got to keep working along and, you know, go work more junior hockey, go work more messes in the ODP. And then, you know, continue to work under the, the NCAA rulebook in Division Three, and, you know, keep sharpening up. And, you know, maybe maybe a few years down the road we'll give you the call and, and give you your shot, but not right now. And, you know, now I look at those conversations and I'm, I'm much more, you know, much more positive when I receive that kind of feedback and much more open to it, whereas before I was just like, oh, well, what in the world? And, you know, that's a, that's a fired up 18-year-old just wanting to conquer everything at once, whereas now it's, really appreciating where I'm at and really loving what I do. You know, it's, I, I have a blast every single weekend working in the conference that I do. It's, it's the best conference in all of division three hockey in the nation. So, you know, really appreciating where I'm at now and enjoying the weekends that I get to work is, is a big thing for me. Yeah. Well, for the last question. So what are, what is your, you kind of mentioned your kind of the goal for this year is to get to Steven's point for the, for the playoffs, but I guess for the next few years, what are your, what are your goals? What are your, I mean, you can say what, what is an ideal 
world look like, but what is, what are you chipping away at? Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest things that I've, I've come to find is that when I focus on, you know, my process of what I'm doing, um, I get a lot more out of it compared to that of the end goal. You know, you can't always control what your end goal might be a lot of the time. So if I said, if three years from today, I want to be skating division one hockey in my mind, that's kind of a foolish goal. Um, I think, I think it'd be much more productive for myself to say, I want to take every single day and do everything in my power to work towards skating division one hockey um, and not setting a hard date deadline for it works for me much better. So that way I'm not frustrated with myself when I'm not there in three years. So I would say, you know, for me, it's, continuing to develop at the division three in the junior hockey level. Um, you know, being, being a guy that's relied upon every single weekend. So when a referee sees they got glasser on the lines, they're, they're pumped, you know, one, they know that they've got a solid guy that's going to drop pucks. Well, it's going to make their night super easy. And then it can tell a funny story in the locker room afterwards. Yeah. Um, that's something big. I like to focus on, you know, developing, you know, my strength, my flexibility, my stride, you know, the athletic part of my game is a big thing on a daily basis. You know, staying locked in mentally is, is a big thing for myself. And I think that if I just stick to my own process and do what I do well, um, the result of, you know, the next level of hockey will, will be there. Um, concerning myself of, of when it happens is kind of a foolish thing in my mind because, you know, some years a staff you know, stays pretty thick and there's not any openings. And in some years, you know, maybe a hundred dudes leave and all of a sudden there's, there's spots galore. So I think if I just stay the course of what I'm doing now and really appreciate where I'm at and just, you know, enjoy the journey that I'm on. Um, And when, when my shot comes, you know, I'll, I'll be ready for it and I'll take it with a smile on my face and, and knock it out of the park, but just continuing to stay the course of what I do now. And um, I think that's the biggest thing. Well, awesome, man. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking taking the time to, to do this and talk about, you know, what you got going on. And, you know, from what I've seen over the last couple of years, you're, you've come a long way as far as, you know, refereeing and even even as a, even as a person. So so thank you for, for taking this time and uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, man, you too. I'll have to make it down to Mankato sometime this season and uh, and hang out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you won't, we won't have to see you on ice. <laughs> yeah, lucky you guys. Yeah. All right, man. Take care. Yep. See ya. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Culture Icon Podcast with our guest, Kendall Glasser. We hope you took away some valuable insight into his life, the Culture Icon brand, and how you can be an inspiring life enthusiast, as well as encourage empowerment today. If you like this episode, make sure to share with a friend, subscribe, rate, and review, so you never miss an episode, and so we can continue to improve the quality of content we are producing. We will continue our best to provide you with meaningful and fulfilling content each and every episode. If you or anyone you know feels they are an inspiring life enthusiast or encourage empowerment, please reach out to us on the podcast page at cultureiconapparel.com. We would love to set up an interview and possibly have you as a guest on the Culture Icon podcast. Thank you again, everyone. And remember to continue encouraging empowerment every day and everywhere you go.